Buenos días. Es un placer, es un honor estar con ustedes aquí esta mañana. Les traigo recuerdos de la diócesis de Honduras. Don't worry, I won't go on in Spanish. It is a wonderful pleasure to be here with you all this morning as uh, Father Lee has uh, mentioned, my name is Lloyd, my family name is Alan, and usually coming from Honduras, people will ask me, well, why your name is not Pedro or Miguel? And uh, I say, well, my, my grandparents and ancestors came to Honduras at the turn of the 1900s to build the Panama Canal and the railroad for United Fruit Company. And uh, my parents and grandparents, therefore, never spoke Spanish. And we were not allowed to speak Spanish in our home. I grew up on the Caribbean side of Honduras in a small port city called Tela, which was the headquarters for the Banana Emporium back in the uh, 60s and 70s. I'm a product of the Episcopal schools in Honduras. I attended Holy Spirit Episcopal School in, in Taylor, and after I finished uh, in high school, I also went to one of my bishops that was there back then, and I said to him, Bishop, uh, I have a calling to the ordained ministry, and I would like to go to seminary. And he looked at me and said, uh, you're too young. Uh, you need to go out and see the world. So I, I looked at him a little startled and said, but how am I going to do that? He looked at me with a straight face and he said, uh, that's your problem. <laughs> so therefore, I, with nothing else to do, I joined a Honduran merchant marine. I became a sailor, sailed around the world for uh, four years and returned to Honduras and went to pedagogical school and became a teacher, taught at one of her schools. And in 1986, we had a new bishop in Honduras. His name was Leo Frade. And he said, I've heard a lot about you and I will send you to seminary, but I will give you a choice. You go to Sewanee or Sewanee. <laughs> so I ended up at, at Sewanee and for your information, for someone coming from Central America, the middle of nowhere on the top of the Cumberland Plateau was quite an experience. However, I was ordained a deacon and a priest in Honduras, a, a deacon in 1989, a priest in 1992, and a bishop in 01. I'm the third resident bishop of the Diocese of Honduras. And when I received the Diocese of Honduras, there was 87 congregation, my predecessor, Leo Frade. And today, as I stand before you, we have 130 congregations in Honduras. And the Diocese of Honduras is the larger diocese within the Episcopal Church in Latin America. It gives me great pleasure and I bring greetings to you from the Episcopal Church in Honduras.
which is part of Province 9. This morning, I, I want to thank St. George's for inviting me here and to share the, the good news with you. And I was, uh, I was told when I, when I got here, you know, uh, you need to say these things. And I was told that when I was, when I was consecrated a bishop, that I, I was the boss. <laughs> but then I found out that that's not true. Because everywhere you go, they say, Bishop, do this, sit here, stand over there, you know. It's, so I'm here with you this morning. However, I, I want to confess to you and to the church here that I have a serious problem with, with Advent and with Easter. But since we're in Advent, let's talk about Advent. I have a problem because back in Honduras, we also have schools. And before the Advent season is over, the schools have decoration and they begin to sing uh, Merry Christmas and all kind of things. Plus, the society which is so into consumism begins to celebrate Christmas even before Thanksgiving. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem because Advent is a time of waiting. Advent is a time of hope. And we can't do anything about it but hope and wait. If you remember last Sunday's uh, propers, uh, last Sunday's gospel begins with the disciples trying to tweet Jesus and ask him, when will these things be? When will the last day be? And Jesus said, you know, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Nobody knows. Not even the angels know. So therefore, intuitively was saying to them, you need to learn to wait. But that's a problem of the human condition. We just can't wait. I think there is a reason why the clients of doctors are called patients. Because they have no choice. There is a waiting room and wait you must. However, today, we have a a strange figure on the scene, which is John the Baptist. And in John's gospel just this morning, there is good news. Because we need good news in, in the midst of what the world is going through. Every time you turn on the news or you read the newspaper, they're not good news. We live in a, in a world that is highly polarized, countries that are polarized, and churches that are polarized. Therefore, we have to have a sense of hearing the good news. Jesus once said that he came so we might have a full and meaningful life, a life filled with purpose. Why is good news needed? It is because on our own, we fall into sin and sin separates us from God. The Bible tells us that we are like sheeps 
gone astray. The good news is Jesus bridges the gap between us and God, and he had someone who preceded him. He set the table before Jesus' ministry. The Bible tells us that this man named John the Baptist came to prepare the way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This preparatory ministry of, of John is mentioned in all four gospels, and it was predicted long before John was even born. His forerunning was integral to what Jesus had come to do. John got the people thinking about their lives, about their relationship with God. If you're going to bake a cake, one of the things I'll let you know I like to, I like to cook. But whenever you're going into the kitchen, you need to be prepared. You got to go and grease the pans first so the cake won't stick in the bottom of the pan. If you're going to paint a wall, it's usually a good idea to prepare the wall by priming it first. And I decided, not knowing much about painting, I decided one day to paint one of our rooms. And the other day, and after three coats and little coverage, I hadn't gone that far. Therefore, I went looking for who could advise me of what to do, and I went to, to, to a painting store, and I asked, I asked what I needed to do, and he gave me a, a can of paint and a red base tint, and after one coat, it looked totally different. Proper preparation is, is so important, even for us clergy. I heard about a priest who ran out of time to prepare for a sudden death in his congregation. And he went to his computer, found the last uh, funeral sermon he had preached, and did it a quick and quick fix, putting the name of the newly deceased person, Bertha, a woman, as a replacement for the one in the previous funeral, Mary. Everything went well until he came to the end of the message where he was reading the Apostles' Creed. He declared that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was burned by the Virgin Bertha. John the Baptist was the preparer of the way for Jesus. I must say, Matthew 3, verses 4 through 6, Jesus, John himself, had camel hair garment and with a leather girdle around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Judea and Jerusalem and all the vicinity of the Jordan was flocking to him 
and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan as they confessed their sins. Jesus also referred to John as a prophet. And I think that was a compliment because the prophet was someone who spoke boldly about God, one who wasn't afraid to say what God was really thinking. Prophets, prophets were politically incorrect, often using warning and impending judgment. When John showed up on the scene, there hadn't been a prophet in Israel for over 400 years. And out of the blue, this strange uh, person, this strange fellow came out of the desert the, near the Dead Sea wearing a rough camel hair coat, which was in those times the garb of the poor, offering one provocative message. And John was saying, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. This is a message of challenge and a message of hope. One reason John got people's attention was that he lived in the desert, a tough area where nobody wanted to live. It made sense, however, for John to call the desert home. Though hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said that he would be a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Another reason John got the people's attention was that they, he lived simply. Most of the poor in Jesus' day ate fish, fig, and barely loaves. But John was so poor that he couldn't even afford that. He ate locusts and his source of protein, perhaps drying them out and adding some wild honey to sweeten them through to get them down. John's appearance and lifestyle spoke volumes. I am not sold out to the culture. I am nobody's pawn. Humanity doesn't own me. I can tell you the truth straight up. And when you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. Finally, John got the people's attention because he dressed exactly like the ancient prophet Elijah. Every Jew knew that before the Messiah came, a prophet like Elijah would show up who dressed like him and talked like him, and this was so the prophet would know that God had something to do and they needed to get ready. That's why we get these propers, because we need to be prepared. Once John had their attention, what did he say? He was not nice to them. He told the people two things they could do to live a life that pleased God. First, as we have mentioned, he called them to repent. Now I don't know about St. George's, but in many other parts of the world, there 
are not very messages about repentance today. We hear that God loves us. But we also need to hear that God expects us to follow him. To live a life that pleases him. And if we're heading down the wrong path, we need to turn around and we need to change. And the human being is not prone to change. We don't like to change. And I know that from my own experience. In my 18 years as a bishop of Honduras, I've called the people in Honduras in many instances to change because one of, one of the things that I took up on my responsibility to do with the church in Honduras was to walk the diocese of Honduras away from a legacy of dependency. The church in Honduras is not a new church on the scenery in Honduras. Anglican presence as it was known before, the Anglican church appeared on the scene in Honduras in 1639. You know, the, the British sailed the Caribbean seas and they were in Honduras and the British, you know, uh, uh, some of them were pirates and they brought chaplains with them. And it was a chaplaincy from 18, 1639 until 1861 when it became an official church. From 1861 until 201, the church had been supported by the British missionaries, and then beyond 1964, after Province 9 was created by the, the, the budget of the Episcopal Church in this country. And when I became the bishop, I went to convention and told convention, it is time for us to change. Because we have been receiving so much and have been blessed, and it's time for us to, to become self-sustaining. And members of the clergy went to the microphone and said to the convention, why should we change now? And I told my missionary brothers and sisters that came around, whenever you come to Honduras, help me with this endeavor. Help me to change the mindset of the people. Because when you come to Honduras, I ask my fellow brothers and sisters, missionaries, don't give my people the fish. Teach them to fish. If you give them the fish, you would feed them for one day. But if you teach them to fish, you will be feeding them for a lifetime. And second convention, the clergy went to the microphone again and said to the rest of convention, it serves us right for having elected a young and energetic bishop. Therefore, change. The whole message of repentance seems an, sort of an old school, so hellfire and brimstone. Doesn't it? One day, there were two of retired priests on the side of the road holding up signs. 
And one of the signs said, the end is near. And the other sign said, turn yourself around before it's too late. At that minute, a car sped past them and the driver leans out of his window and yells, leave us alone, you religious nuts. A moment later, you could hear screeching tires and a big splash. And one of the priests looked to the other and, and said, or asked, do you think the sign should just have said, bridge out? <laughs> Repent is rarely the message we hear because I mean we're heading in the wrong direction. But if, if you're heading in the wrong di direction, isn't that exactly the message you need to hear? Anyone in here ever been going the wrong direction and needed to change and to repent? To turn a, a new leaf or to radically change the way we have been living? I have. And there is an uncomfortable biblical truth that we must understand. God is a God who sorts. I remember going off to, to college and got on the phone with, with my mom and who was asking if I would be back before Christmas. And she asked me what meal I wanted to eat and I could have said anything. I didn't have to think very long about the decision though. I wanted the meal that makes every uh, person in Honduras feel at home, beans and rice. I wanted to use that illustration of beans and rice because one of the things I, I did while I was, when I was home and growing up with my mom is she would always take the, the beans, you know, things have changed now, but you had to go to the store and, and buy a pound of beans and then you had to come back home and, and spread the beans out and sort out the beans, the good and the stones and everything and before you put it on the stove. You just couldn't pour the content of the bag into the pot and boil because sometimes little rocks and crumbs of dirt are bagged and you have to eliminate those before you cook. And I saw my mom doing that many times. And I've had, as I preach around sometimes to tell hard truths, God is a God who sorts. Only he does it with human lives. God is looking forever he can keep, build on, use and bless. God has great, gone to great length to keep people, clean them up, clean us up and use us. But there are some of us whose lives he cannot work with. When God is looking to pour out his Holy Spirit on people, these lives may not be included there discarded spiritually speaking because they have hearts of stone and are not prone to change. Maybe this understanding 
of God upsets some of us. It may seem barbaric, it may seem unsetting, because we believe it and you aren't such way of life people that people would be sorted by God or maybe your concern about people you love and people we love as unsettling as this it is clearly taught in scriptures consider the word of John the Baptist this morning in chapter 3 verse 10 even now the acts of God's judgment is poised ready to sewer the roots of the tree Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Some fruit trees are extremely productive. So what do you do? You fertilize, water, and tend to them. And there are other trees that aren't. They just take up space and use resources so what's the only option you have? It's to cut it down. Now, verses 11 and 12 states, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the, only, the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to take off his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, obviously speaking of Jesus. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn up with fire that never goes out. Some of us are like wheat because we bless and feed others. Others are like shaft. We look like wheat have the same color as wheat. They grow up with the wheat, but in the end, shaft is useless. God searches human lives. God's, he's looking for and is hoping to find lives that are keepers. It's not this will that anyone should live his life or her life in such a way that they end up in the spiritual trash can but will, some will because their lives are absolutely nothing that God can use. Therefore, this morning, the gospel and John is saying change. The question we must ask then is this. Am I living a life pleasing to God? The kind of life that pleases God starts with repenting and turning around. The first thing John said to the people was, repent, be honest with God about your junk, confess your sins, tell the truth about the mess of place in your life. John asked them to confess and be baptized. This probably has and was not easy for people. These were public acts. You waded into the muddy river Jordan with people standing around, listening on what they were saying. And some of them probably said, my anger is out of control. I stole this. I lied then. I did that. But John was trying to make a point. Following God 
isn't for show. It's gut honest. Back then, pretty much the only person who got baptized was the occasional pagan who wanted to convert and become a Jew. John said to all the Jews, to the religious insiders, guess what? You need to be baptized too. You need a conversion just as much as the wildest pagan. John's reputation grew, and soon some of the most respected religious leaders, the elite of the country started coming. And this was no easy deal to come all the way to the desert to hear John preach Matthew 7 verses, Matthew 3 verses 7 to 9. When they saw the Pharisees, he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to the place for baptism. He said to them, you brought of vipers who warn you to flee from the damnation to come. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance and don't presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Prophets weren't nice people. They weren't like. And maybe after I preach today, you all may go home and write a letter to Bishop Bowersmith. Welcome to the club, I will say to myself. The crowd would have gasped at these words. Ordinary people look up to these folks, but the Pharisees and Sadducees had weakness for public spirituality. They enjoy being known for their good lives. It's better to be good and to look good. That's an easy lifestyle to fall into because we all like people to think of us as decent folks. But I think we need to be real. And that's what John ends up saying. I would love it if people saw my life and thought I was great. But I think that is pride. And when it gets mixed with spirituality, things get out of whack. When I start believing my own press clipping, we are lost. And when John said, produce fruit consistent with repentance, he is saying, our faith will influence our actions. We're not trying to impress people or God for the matter. We're simply allowing God to influence our action. What sort of action is John was John talking to his people about? What shall we do? The crowd was asking him. And John responded to those questions in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. And he says, uh, those who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers came to him and asked the question, What shall we do? And he said to them, Don't take money from anyone 
by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with what you gain. And sometimes I think this, this sermon, at least in my country, should be preached at Congress, at the police station, and at many other places in, in a country like Honduras and in Latin America. Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's not lose sight of the fact that the kingdom of heaven is near. Forgiveness is as close as you're asking. A full and meaningful life lived with an eye on eternity and not just on the now. It's also as close as turning to God, turning to God and away from selfishness. Today, John tells us that the kingdom of God is near. And that's really the reason for this season of Advent. Jesus came to bring heaven near because he loves us as we are. And he too loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Did you hear John's word this morning? Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Amen.